0: Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ with everything that's been happening in Israel and the Gaza Strip the last few weeks and especially really in the last week one of the things that's become clear is how much difference your citizenship can make. Being a foreign citizen being a citizen of another country like Canada means at least there's a chance if you're in the Gaza Strip. At least there's a chance of escaping the war. Citizenship makes a big difference. That's true when it comes to being a citizen of a country here on earth, but it's also true when it comes to being a citizen of heaven. That's what a Christian is. A Christian is someone whose citizenship is in heaven. That is what Philippians 3 verse 20 literally says. In our versions, it says there, speaking of Christians, for our conversation is in heaven. But that word conversation is really better translated here, citizenship. For our citizenship is in heaven. In other words, Paul is saying Christians have a heavenly citizenship already now. Though they live here in this world They have a heavenly citizenship through faith in Christ. And the point of our passage this afternoon, Philippians 3, beginning at verse 17 to verse 1 of chapter 4, one of the points is is really to show us, to teach us what difference that citizenship makes in our lives here and now. And so with God's help, we want to look at this passage under the theme, a heavenly citizenship we'll see, first of all, the focus it results in. Secondly, the future it promises. And thirdly, the faithfulness it calls for. The first thing we see from our text is the focus that a heavenly citizenship results in. That's, we see that in the first several verses, really, of our passage. And I want to just read those again, verses 17 through 20. Brethren, Paul says, Be followers together of me. And mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. From any walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, our citizenship is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. What our text here is really telling us, congregation, is is that having a heavenly citizenship results in a focus. It results in a focus on holiness and heavenly mindedness. It results in a focus on holiness. Paul calls the Philippians and us to be followers of him. Why? Well, because he's an example to them of seeking, of pursuing holiness. That's his focus in life. He spoke of that. We saw that last week. He's pressing on toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God which is in Christ Jesus. He spoke of how he's not yet perfected but he presses forward. He's striving for holiness. He's striving for perfection. The perfection that he will one day receive in glory by grace through Christ. He's striving to be like Christ not because he's an apostle but because he's a Christian, because he's a citizen of heaven. That's why he says, be followers together of me. He said something similar in another place, in 1 Corinthians 11, I believe. He said, imitate me, even as I also imitate Christ. That's what he's saying here. You see, being a citizen of heaven, having a heavenly citizenship results in a focus on pursuing holiness. That's really part of Christ's work in all his people through his spirit. That's why Paul, he goes on, he doesn't just point to himself, but he he points to others too who who are walking the way he is, who are are living the same way as him who are pursuing holiness and Christ-likeness in their lives. And he says, look at them, look at them, mark them, note them, watch them, watch them. Because they, like me, Paul says, are an example, a pattern for you to follow. Maybe children, you've had it sometimes. That you're doing something maybe at supper or, or, or something, some, some other time, and your brother or your sister copies you. Does that ever happen? It happens in our house. And maybe sometimes when that happens, you don't always want it to happen. You might get mad and you and you tell him, Stop copycatting me. Well, well here, Paul, he he actually wants us to copycat him. He wants us to mimic, to copy his and the others' pursuit of holiness, pursuit of Christ likeness. Why? Because a focus on and a pursuit of holiness and Christ likeness demonstrates that we are true Christians. It demonstrates that we are citizens of heaven. Being a citizen of heaven, being a true Christian, results in a focus on holiness. Is that your focus? Is that your focus? the mind? Are are, are we pursuing holiness? Are we striving to put sin to death? Are we striving to be like Christ? If you are a true Christian, how can it be otherwise? And yet, yet there are so many people who confess Christ, who confess faith in Christ, but who are not living this way who are not pursuing holiness, who are not striving to be like Christ, perhaps even also among us. How do we make sense of that? Are they true Christians or or are they not? Well, what's the answer of our text? What's the answer of verses 18 and 19? Paul here speaks of, of those kind of people. People who call themselves Christians, but they're not pursuing. They're not walking in the way of holiness. They're not striving to be like Christ. Instead, they are people who live for themselves. Their God is their belly. In other words, they live for pleasure. They live to please themselves. They worship themselves. They serve the lusts, the desires of their flesh. And they demand that others serve them too. In their glory, their glory is in their shame. They treat their sins, sins like gluttony or drunkenness or sexual immorality or other, other things, other, some, some other sin, they treat them as badges of honor. Their minds are set, he goes on to say, on earthly things, the things of this world, the pleasure and the ease and the comfort and the health and the wealth and the honor and so on. Some people might call them carnal Christians. But what does Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, call them? He doesn't call them Christians at all, does he? He tells us, notice how he tells us, not spitefully, not gladly, not vengefully, but weeping, that they are enemies of the cross. Of Christ, whose end is destruction. Congregation, this is very sobering, isn't it? This is why the way we are living is so vitally important. That's what our text is saying. It's saying you you cannot be a true Christian. And not be focused on holiness. Not be focused on becoming like Christ. Of course, we're not there. That's what Paul's been saying in the verses before. We never get there. Paul's not saying you can't be a true Christian and unless you're perfect. No, he's not saying that. But he's saying, how can you be a true Christian if your God is your belly And your glory is in your shame and your your mind is set on earthly things. This might be hard for us to hear. That's what these verses are saying. A heavenly citizenship results in a focus on holiness, on devotion to God, following God, living for Him. Is that what you're focused on? And I, are we pursuing holiness? Does it Matter to us? It mattered to Paul. It mattered so much that he couldn't talk about those who were not doing that. Who were not doing that without weeping. Is that our response too? And I asked myself this question. I asked it. It was in. I asked it in my own study this week. Is that how much the pursuit of holiness matters to us? Do we strive, do I strive for holiness? Do we strive for holiness ourselves? And do we weep when others who are called Christians, who call themselves Christians, who might even see themselves as Christians, are not living with that focus? We sang it, didn't we? Because thy statutes are despised with overwhelming grief, I weep. Do we weep? Does it matter? Being a citizen of heaven results in a focus on pursuing holiness and Christ-likeness, following the example of Paul and others like him. and It results in a focus on heavenly-mindedness. And Paul says in verse 20, for our citizenship is in heaven, he adds this, from whence also we look. We look, we eagerly look and wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, having a heavenly citizenship, Results in a heavenly mindset. A mindset that's not focused on earthly things. Not focused on earthly blessings. But rather on Christ in heaven. That's not saying that we can't enjoy earthly blessings. Of course we can. We can enjoy them. We can and should be thankful for them. But when our citizenship is in heaven. Then we seek to hold them loosely. They're not what we live for. We seek not to cling to them. That's our desire and if the Lord in his providence takes them away we seek to let them go willingly even when it's not always easy we seek to deny ourselves just as Christ denied himself that's one of Paul's main themes in in this letter we looked at it especially in chapter two how Christ he didn't count it robbery to be equal with God but he denied himself in obedience to his father for the salvation of sinners He became man and he humbled himself to death, even to the death of the cross. And the point is, Paul, as Paul makes clear in that chapter as well, that when we're Christians, we are to be like him. We're to have his mindset, denying ourselves in love for him and for each other. Not setting our minds on earthly things. Not living for the things of this world because those things are just temporary. They're passing. This world is passing away. When our citizenship is in heaven, where Christ is, we'll be living in light of Christ's return. That's where our focus will be. But how do, we keep, how do we keep that focus? Well, Paul doesn't just speak about the focus a heavenly citizenship results, and he also speaks about the future it promises. And that's our second point, the future a heavenly citizenship promises. We see that in, in verses 20 and 21. For our citizenship is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. That's the future that's promised to those who have a heavenly citizenship. It's a future that involves the Savior's glorious return. That's what Paul is referring to. When he speaks of looking for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, he's referring to to his return, to his second coming. And what a glorious, what a blessed event that will be for all who belong to him by faith. You see, the one who will return is none other than the Savior, He is none other than the eternal, only begotten Son of God, made flesh, who lived and who suffered and who died as a sin-bearer, who bore the curse for all his people, for all who by grace have fled to him as their only hope of salvation. He is none other. The one who's going to return is none other than the one who fully satisfied the justice of God. He is none other than the one who had said on the cross, it is finished and approved it by his resurrection from the dead and ascension into heaven. That's the one we look for, the one who is the Savior. That's the one who's going to return from heaven. Yes, he's the Savior, but he's more than that. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, again, he see that? He, he piles, he just piles the titles and the names together to highlight the glory of the Savior. He's, he's the one who is the Lord, who has all authority and power. He's Jesus, the real man who had come and died on the cross. He's Christ, the the anointed one, the all-sufficient one. That is the Savior who is returning. Oh, what a blessed and what a glorious return that will be when we are His. Do you look forward to it? You see, it means that our salvation, when He comes, our salvation will be finally made complete. The perfection, the holiness, the Christ-likeness that we've been longing for and striving for and yet falling far short of every single day will be ours. That's what the Bible says is going to happen when the Savior returns. Hebrews 9 verse 28 tells us that Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. What does that mean? What does it mean that he's going to come without sin the second time? It means that he's not going to come. When he comes, he's not going to come still bearing the sins of his people because he did that already when he was here on earth, when he died on the cross, he finished that work then. So what's he he coming for when he comes again? He's coming again unto salvation. He's coming again to make his work of salvation perfect, complete. Now it's not yet perfect. We're not yet perfect. But when he returns, we will be. When we're in him, he's coming again, you see, to make everything new. And then we will be with him. We'll be with our Savior King, the all-glorious Lord Jesus Christ forever. One day that's going to happen. One day that's going to happen. Maybe you sometimes wonder if it will. It's been 2,000 years. 2,000 years. Is Christ really going to come ever? You ever wonder that? Yes, he will. He himself promised it. The angels promised it to his disciples right after he went to heaven. His word promises it over and over again. He is coming again. We don't know when, but he is really going to come. And even our text confirms that. It's not so obvious in our versions. But when Paul says that we look for the Savior, he's literally saying we are eagerly waiting for Him. That's what that word, look for, means in the Greek. It means to eagerly wait, to expect someone or something with anticipation. And that tells us that the Savior's return is sure. He really is going to come. It's, it's like children, when you, when you go to, or, or when you know someone's coming over to your house for a visit, Maybe a, a friend or, or maybe a, a relative that you haven't seen in a long time. What do you do when your parents tell, tell you that they're coming? You go to the window, don't you? Or, or you go to the door. Maybe you open the door and you wait. You look down the road. Are they coming? Is, is their car coming down the road yet? Why? Because you know they are coming. They're coming for sure. And so when our text says we are eagerly waiting for the Savior, when Paul says that, he's not saying that Jesus just might be coming. He's saying our glorious Savior is coming. He's coming back for sure. His glorious return will happen. That's the future. A heavenly citizenship promises. But not only that, it not only promises the glorious return of our Savior, it also promises the glorious transformation of our bodies. Our text says that when our Savior returns, He will change. He will transform our vile or lowly bodies and make them like His own glorious body. What a promise. What a promise. Our lowly bodies, bodies that are now full of and prone to weakness, subject to sickness and to death, will one day be radically and gloriously transformed. They will be made like Christ's own resurrection body. As Paul says, elsewhere that means they will become incorruptible, they will be made powerful, they will be made glorious, they will be made spiritual, completely under the control of the Holy Spirit. It's hard for us to imagine, isn't it? I, I, I can't imagine exactly what that's going to look like, Neither can you. That's why John said in 1 John one verse or three verse two, "It does not yet appear what we shall be. It has not yet been revealed. What we shall be. But this we know, this we know, that when He, when Christ, shall appear, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. Christ Himself will make our bodies like unto His own glorious body. What a comforting promise that is, especially when you struggle. Maybe it's hard to see how comforting it is when you're young and you're healthy and you have all the strength. But when you struggle with a weakness and the frailty of your body, when you battle sickness, when you struggle with a disability, when you have to deal with bodily pain chronically and, and, and bodily discomfort, when you've lost a finger or maybe more than a finger in an accident, when you live with constant fatigue and tiredness, when you live with the effects of a stroke, when you can't walk without a walker or a wheelchair, these are all consequences of the fall. But when your citizenship is in heaven, then one day when Christ returns, your body will be changed. Christ himself, the text says, God's word says, will change it and fashion it like unto his glorious body. Probably the closest thing we can compare it to is the transformation from a caterpillar to a butterfly. Sometimes I think that's why God made caterpillars. Just to help us understand what he's going to do for his people when he comes again. And maybe, children, you've, you've, you've done that before. You've caught a caterpillar and you've, you've put it in a jar and, and you've given it leaves to eat and you watched as it, as it, as it grew and, and, and then eventually it formed a cocoon or a, a chrysalis. And after some days or maybe weeks it came out as a beautiful butterfly. Maybe you've done that or maybe you've seen videos of it. But what an amazing, when that happens, what an amazing, what a glorious transformation. Think about it. The caterpillar, he's not much to look at. It can't get much lowlier than a caterpillar. It can't get anywhere on its own very quickly. It has to crawl on the ground every time it wants to go any place. But what a glorious transformation when it becomes a butterfly. The butterfly is not only, it's far more beautiful, isn't it? So much more beautiful to look at. But it's also so much more capable. Not least of all because it can fly. The transformation of our bodies when Christ comes again, is it's going to be something like that. Our bodies will be gloriously transformed. They will bear the image of Christ. The image of the heavenly man, the last Adam. Just as right now, all of our bodies are bearing the image of the first man the man of dust. And then, in that day, they will no longer be crumbly. They will be glorious. They will be beautiful. They will be honorable. They will be incorruptible, never able to decay. They will be sinless, like Christ. There will be no more tumors. There will be no more weakness. There will be no more disabilities. There will be no more pain. There will be no more sickness. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more oxygen tubes. There'll be no more feeding tubes. There'll be no more pacemakers. There'll be no more walkers. There'll be no more wheelchairs. There'll be no more hospital beds. There won't be any more doctor's offices. There won't be any more blood donor clinics. There won't be any more hospitals. There'll be no more funeral homes. What a future Don't you agree? How can that be? How can our bodies, bodies that now barely last more than 70 to 80 years before they wear out and die, and sometimes even before that, how can those bodies be so gloriously transformed? I mean, look at all of our medical technology today. Even with all of that, we haven't been able to keep our bodies from decay We haven't been able to keep our bodies from sickness. We haven't been able to keep our bodies from death, much less transform them. So how can this be? It can be because of the almighty power of our Savior. He will gloriously transform them, it says in our text, according to the working whereby He is able even to subdue all things unto Himself. That's how He'll do it. He'll transform our lowly bodies that it may be conformed to His glorious body by His power. And there's no power greater than His. It's a power that's able to subdue all things to Himself. That's the Savior's power congregation. What hope that gives. What comfort that gives. What hope it gives when you are in bondage to sin and to Satan. And you feel like you can't get out. is I you maybe this afternoon. There's a Savior who's stronger than sin. Who's stronger than Satan. Who's stronger than unbelief. Cry out to him. Call out to him. He always hears the cries of the needy. And he is more than able to save. What encouragement it gives. And what encouragement it gives to dear fellow citizen of heaven. When you suffer in the body. When you get weaker, and when you come to die, your Savior is stronger, is mightier than all of that. He is stronger than death. He is almighty. Nothing and no one is stronger than Him. And by His might, by His strength, when He comes again, whether we're alive and still in our broken bodies here on earth, or whether our souls are in heaven and our bodies are six feet under. Or whether our dust is, 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 is wherever it is, Lord, wherever it might be. It doesn't matter. He will raise them up. He will gloriously transform them. That's how mighty a Savior we have. And then with glorified bodies and soul, we will live with Him forever and ever in eternal, never-ending joy. What a glorious future. What a glorious future we have when our citizenship is in heaven. What if it's not? Well, if it's not, what a terrible future is coming. Paul describes that future in verse 19. With just one word destruction. Not annihilation, not non existence, destruction. In other passages in the Word of God, make clear that, that destruction means destruction of both body and soul. For how long? Forever. Think of that. We can hardly comprehend that. How awful it will be to experience everlasting destruction under the just and the righteous wrath of God. That's what the Bible says will happen to those whose citizenship is not in heaven. Who don't turn from sin to Christ in repentance and faith. What a terrible future. Far more terrible even than it would be if you and I were living right now in the Gaza Strip. That's why it's so important, congregation, that our citizenship be in heaven. Is it? Is that where your citizenship is? What are you to do if it's not? You're to go to Christ. Christ. You see, it's only by him that anyone can become a citizen of heaven. It's only through his death on the cross, by his blood that he shed, that we can be brought near and we can be reconciled to God. Well, then go to him. Go to him. Ask him, Lord, make me, make me a citizen of heaven. And he will not turn you away because that's his promise. He has promised that he will never cast out anyone who comes to him. When you belong to him, your citizenship is in heaven and your citizenship papers are sealed with his blood. You may look forward then to a future where one day he will return and will gloriously transform your body so that it's like his own. You'll be with him forever in everlasting glory. That's the future a heavenly citizenship promises and it's guaranteed in Christ. Then let's be faithful Christians. Faithful citizens of heaven. That's what a heavenly citizenship calls for. And this brings us briefly to our third and last point. The faithfulness a heavenly citizenship calls for. We see this in the first verse of chapter 4. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Notice how Paul expresses his love. How Paul expresses his affection for for the Philippians. It's just loaded with affection this verse, isn't it? It's worth meditating on that, but we're not going to do that now. Our focus right now is on his, his call to them in light of their heavenly citizenship, in light of the future it promises. He calls them to stand fast in the Lord. He's calling them. He's saying a heavenly citizenship calls for faithfulness. What kind of faithfulness? Well, continual faithfulness. Stand fast. Keep standing fast. You could translate it. That's our calling when we are citizens of heaven. We are called to unflinching, uncompromising perseverance in faith. No matter what trials and challenges come our way, in doubt and temptation, we're going to sing it later, I believe, in doubt and temptation, I rest Lord in thee. No matter what doubts, no matter what temptations, because our future, you see, is sure. Our Savior's coming. Glory is coming. So don't falter, Paul said. Don't give up. Never give up. Don't turn tail. Don't run back to Egypt. Don't run back to Ur of the Chaldees when it gets hard. Keep going. Keep believing. Keep trusting. Keep obeying. Keep pressing toward the mark. Our heavenly citizenship calls us to that. It calls us to steadfast, continual faithfulness. In the Lord. In other words, keep living. Keep living in submission to Christ, to Jesus, who is the one and only Lord over all. Keep relying on him. Don't try to be faithful in your own strength. Stand fast in the Lord, depending on him, relying on his person and his work, not putting your trust in the flesh, but counting everything loss for the knowledge of him Keep building your life on Christ and his word. That's the kind of faithfulness a heavenly citizenship calls for. You might ask, well, what does that look like specifically? Well, in some ways, we've we've been dealing with that. Ever since the end of chapter 1, when Paul started, he, he, he called the Philippians, he said to them, live in a manner worthy of the gospel. I'm paraphrasing, but that word, to live in a manner worthy of the gospel, that phrase is, comes from the same uh, phrase that we translate citizenship here. Live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And that's what we've been looking at looking at then in chapters 2 and, and the first part of 3. And, and Lord willing, in the coming weeks, we'll see more of it in, in chapter 4 as Paul wraps up his letter. But the point is for now point is to remember this, a heavenly citizenship calls for faithfulness. So let's seek to be faithful. Let's seek to be faithful by grace to stand fast in the Lord because He's faithful. Because He's faithful. He never fails. And He's coming back. And He has promised a glorious future to all who trust and follow Him. What a difference your citizenship makes. It can make a difference. Your earthly citizenship can make a difference in in this world, but there's no greater difference that can be made than the difference that a heavenly citizenship makes. And there's no greater citizenship to have. There's no greater citizenship to have. Do you have it? Do you have it? Oh, that no one would be without it when they come and stand before Christ. I hope, I hope we don't have to weep over anyone. Amen.